We're continuing on with our Easter series. Of course, the title of this is Made New, Part of God's Family. And our text is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You heard Dow read just a moment ago. And we have been discussing these past few weeks about how Easter changes everything. Now, back on Easter Sunday, which was April the 9th, we talked about how faith in Christ makes us new. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, anyone's in Christ. He is a new creation, a new creature. Behold, new things have come. All things have passed away. We talked about last week about moving past our past. How our faith in Christ makes us new every morning. How we move past our past is living for the future in light of the resurrection and his second coming. Now we're talking about today about being part of God's family. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. Now before I read that, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 tells us you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. I have not seen one dead person do anything for themselves. We are dead spiritually. But because of Christ, because of the grace of God and our faith in Christ alone, verse 19 of Ephesians 2 tells us, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and are of God's household. That's right. How many believers do we have in the house this morning? Raise your hand high and proud. You are a saint. The word in the Greek is hagios, means holy ones. Not because of anything you have done. It's because of your faith in Christ. His blood covers your sins and now... You are part of God's family. And anyone can be a part of God's family. People say Christianity is exclusive. No, it is inclusive. Jesus says, anybody, whosoever comes to me, I will not push them away. Anyone can come to me. But Jesus is the only way, but he welcomes all people, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of social economic standing, he welcomes every one of us. And we are part of his family. You are a member of the family of God. What is the family of God? The church. The church is not this building. This is a building where the church meets, where the saints come to worship God and to study his word and encourage each other. What we must never forget is that we cannot live out our faith by ourselves. We need each other, and more importantly, we need God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking, forsaking our own assembling together, as the habit is of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's consider how to stimulate. King James says, provoke. It's the picture of taking your billows, the things you blow into your fire. You have, the flame has gone out, but the logs still have the red 
embers real hot, and you blow and you poke it and you stir that fire up. That's what we're supposed to do for each other. Provoke each other, stimulate each other, encourage one another. What does it say? To encourage each other? To love and good deeds? And all the more, as you see the day of his second coming, he's referring to, drawing near. Now listen to me very carefully. The church does not need you in order to be the church nearly as much as you need the church in order to be the person God created you to be. Did you catch that? The church doesn't necessarily need you to be the church. You need the church in order to be the person that God created you to be. Everybody in this room has a spiritual gift or gifts. God's giving you that gift to build up his kingdom. If you haven't discovered what your spiritual gift is, we have a spiritual inventory there in the back. There's one online. It is man-made. So don't let it pigeonhole yourself, but you need to spend time. God, what is my spiritual gift? And use that gift that he's given you to build his kingdom. We have prayer warriors among us. I know there's a group of ladies that meet every Monday at 10.30 a.m. back in the prayer room, and a lot of needs are going up. Cottage prayer. More prayers. We have people who are using their talents to you know, play instruments that can sing to give glory to God. We have teachers that can teach. Some of you are good at just walking up to strangers and striking up a conversation. God's given you a gift, a gift of mercy, a gift of forgiveness, a gift of discernment. And the list goes on and on and on. We need to be surrounded by believers who walk alongside of us. Fellowship is what forms our community. In the Greek, in verse 42, you see it, koinonia in the Greek. It's an intimacy which is based on or built upon our faith in Jesus. For example, you wake up Sunday morning, you've had a bad week, you can't find anything to wear, the car won't start, you've got a flat tire, you start arguing with your spouse, that's never happened to us. Ha, ha, ha. Come on, let's go, we gotta go to church. You ever been like that? Oh, come on now. But when you get here, someone gives you a hug, someone sees the sadness in your eyes, they're asked how you're doing, and you know they really mean it because they stop and wait for a response. Or maybe someone prays with you or prays for you. And you walk out here feeling better than what you came in because you've been in the presence of God and you experienced fellowship, koinia. We'll talk more about that in a moment. All right? We are not a club or a clique. We are a community, a fellowship of believers. A place where you can nurture relationships with other believers that will encourage you to draw closer to God. People who know the good and bad, everything about you, but regardless of what they know, they still love you. These people, you can call at 2 a.m. If you have something bad happens, you can call them up and they will be there, Johnny on the spot, to meet you wherever you're at. That's the type of relationship we should have. Now, I know we seem to draw close to people more like us, same hobbies. There's nothing wrong with that. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't done this already, find people 
that you have common interests with. Build that relationship. I have a, a brother that goes to First Baptist Bellevue. He's been in this since the day I came to Christ. And I know I could call him at any moment. God has had some brothers here in my life. I know I can call them up. Now, if I mess up, you better believe me, they'll tell me about it. But they'll come get me. And do whatever they can for me. Acts chapter 2 talks about how devoted the early church members were to one another. And as you look at that text, look how the church is described in those early days. Look what it says in verse 42. They were continually uh, devoting themselves or continue steadfastly to what? Well, to the apostles' teaching. The apostles have been commanded by Christ to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach them all that I've commanded you, and he tells them, I will be with you even to the ends of the age. That was their marching orders, and those orders stand for us today. That's what we're doing. That's what we're supposed to be doing, is making disciples. So they're telling these early believers all about what Jesus taught them. I, talking about the resurrection. Wouldn't you like to hear a first uh, account of, of Mary what, did you, what was going through your mind you got there and the, the, roll, the stone was rolled away and his body wasn't there? What did that feel like? What, what did you experience? How about Peter? I can't wait to meet Peter. I can identify with Peter more and more every day. They talk about um, how he fulfilled Old Testament scriptures. They go back and show him, look at the Old Testament pointing to the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies of being the Messiah. They tell them about the Christian witness, and of course they tell their own stories. See, even the gospel tells us, the gospels themselves, tells us, they didn't get, tell us everything that Jesus said and done. If they would have, we couldn't carry the book. There's so many other stories of things Jesus did, but they write it purposely under the direction of the Holy Spirit so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Can you imagine saying, hey, Peter, man, what was that like? What was it like when you jumped out of that boat and you're walking on water, you're looking at Christ, you look down, you, fr- fr- you freaked out and you started to think, what was that like, Peter? And, you know, we should do the same thing with each other. You know, we share our experiences with one another. I remember when I'm going through the loss of my mom and my father-in-law, mother-in-law, some of you, I went to and said, how did you get through this? How, how, what, what scriptures... So we, we, we encourage and we, we bond. It's kind of like uh, the men who, who serve during combat, the, the brotherhood that forms. It's the same thing should be happening here because we're in the trenches of a spiritual battle. Now, the war has already been won, but each of us have a battle every day. And when you form those type of relationships with each other, you know that person has your back. You can't put a price tag on that. Watching over each other, praying for each other, having each other's back, and encouraging. And they would talk about their stories of his ministry and his teaching. This also reminds us the importance of small groups. For example, Sunday school, preaching, daily devotions, scripture reading, and memorization. There might be a day when we won't have all this technology and all these books. We'll have to remember what we remembered in our heart about what Scripture says. And last night, I saw some children get up and recite Scripture by memory. 
John 3.16, most of you here know that. But what a powerful verse that is. Remember what it said? What does John 3.16 say? God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall not die but everlasting life. That's a mouthful right there in itself. They also devote themselves to fellowship. And there's that word, koinia. It has the basic meaning of association, communion, and close relationships. Now, in secular Greek, it involved the sharing of goods. It was also used of communion with a god, especially in, a te- in the context of sharing a sacred meal. Now, it's not easy to determine the exact nuance in this context because it appears in a list. But look back at that verse. The key of all this made to see the terms of breaking of bread and prayer in opposition to fellowship. Now, in grammar, an opposition occurs when two words or phrases are placed beside each other in a sentence so they help describe what it is. So when we look at that, the meaning then would be they devote themselves to a fellowship that was expressed in mutual meals and in their prayer life together. That's how they express their fellowship. Now, mutual meals would just be meals? We like to eat around here, don't we? Oh, come on now. I know you guys like to eat. But it's also gathering around the Lord's table to partake of the Lord's Supper. And you see, they devote themselves to the breaking of bread. And like I just said, that could be sharing a meal together. Now, you have to realize, I'll confess, sometimes I just glaze by this, but back then they didn't have 24-hour Walmart, didn't have a grocery store. They grew everything they ate or they killed it. And they lived in the Middle East. I mean, it was very hot and humid. Food was very precious, anything they had. So you'd invite someone in and offer the best you ever had was a sign of hospitality and showing people that you really cared. So when we go to have a meal together, it's not about just sitting down and eating, cramming ourselves full of food. It's about sitting down and sharing fellowship with one another, encouraging one another, talking about our witness and what's going on. May our struggles, our triumphs, maybe it's even going off and praying. It's more than just sitting down and having a meal. Now, they also devote themselves, look, to prayer. Now, in the Greek, there is a definite article there. A definite article is the word the, the book, the chair. The indefinite article would be like a book, a chair. And by the way, John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, there is no indefinite article there. It's a definite article. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In fact, in the Greek, it's written a me, which is first person singular, I am. So the stress is Jesus say, I, I'm the only way. I am the way. And because it appears here in front of the word prayer, some think this as a reference to keeping their former prayer hours of Judaism in the temple. They may have well done that. Because their faithfulness in attending temple worship is noted here in verse 46 and in chapter 3, verse 11. Now, they believed in Christ. But as we'll see in a moment, that was a place where they went to go witness. And these are the same people who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, and they go there on purpose to share that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, you go there at Pentecost, Peter is standing on the very steps telling this person you crucified is Jesus, the Son of the living God. 
Now remember, just a few days earlier, Peter was running scared. <laughs> he was afraid he's going to be next. And now boldness. And this with fire and conviction telling the same people that Jesus is the Messiah. It's amazing when you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, what you can do and what you can say. Look at verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, or literally fear was occurring to every soul. Now, this probably is a reference to outside the Christian community, those non-believers, but also as believers, they were in awe, somewhat kind of fearful, like a, a reverent fear. We have lost that in here in our churches in America. The, the fear of God, Proverbs, first, uh, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We've lost the fear of God. We, we make God no more than a grandfather sitting off in a corner somewhere in a rocking chair, gives out candy canes and pats us on our head and tells us everything's going to be okay. But listen to what Hebrews 10.31 says. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. And yes, God is jealous. He tells us that in the book of Hebrews. He deserves and he desires to be first place in your life. Nothing else has become between you and him. Whatever that thing is that comes between you and him, that is called an idol. It could be money, it could be jobs, it could be relationships. The Lord is... He's very gracious and loving kindness, but there's something about God that's also very fearful. I mean, look in the Old Testament accounts and in the New Testament accounts. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. There's something because you get into the presence of a holy, almighty, living God. No one has to tell you who you are in relationship to him. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. I say, I saw the Lord lifted high and his train of his robe filled the temple and the threshold shook. And so I say, he, he bows down and confesses, I'm a man of unclean lips, living among people with unclean lips. God did not say one word. He just simply shows up. So yes, they're, they're happy and they're, and they're excited, but also fearful. Verse 43, it says, many wonders and signs or attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. And this phrase continues to be used of the miracles in chapter 4, verse 30, and chapter 5, verse 12. It is used of others as well. For example, Jesus in chapter 2, verse 22. Stephen, chapter 6, verse 8. Moses in chapter 7, verse 36. Philip in chapter 8, verse 13, and Paul and Barnabas in chapter 14, verse 3, and 15, verse 12. An example of these miraculous wonders and signs is given to us in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, the lame beggar that's healed outside the temple. Read that story. Basically, they tell him, hey, we, we have nothing to give you other than who, who Jesus is. They tell him, and he is healed. And this guy had been sitting there for a long time. People knew. What, what, tell us what happened. All I know, it's like the blind man said, hey, I, I can't, all I can tell you is I was blind, but now I see. 
What else you want to know? <laughs> and that kind of reminds me of myself. Well, Tim, what happened to you? I called out the name of Jesus, and I can't explain everything, but now I'm a different person, and now I'm serving as a pastor, and I long to be around God's people. I long to be in His Word. God has changed everything about me. Can you remember your salvation? After you, you know, that, that first step was the hardest, wasn't it? Just step out that pew, you know, and nobody's going to look at me. Blah, blah. And it's like a little battle going on. And then when you finally come and whoever the pastor was or the, the speaker, who it was at that moment, it could have been a church camp. Who, it could have been at your own home and, and just praying there in your bedroom, however it happened. And then once you prayed to God and you, know, you confessed your sins, God, have, I deserve your wrath, but I call out to you and can you remember what it felt like after that second? Like for me, it was like a huge weight was just lifted. And then I felt like running around the house and yelling and shouting. You ever felt like that? Or am I the only one? Ever been reading scriptures and studying it and you're like, you just, woo, yeah. You just want to. I, I, I'll share something later after service that I did. I came in, I, I found out something and I went into the kitchen and I expressed myself very, um, how would you say, uh, used my hands. And my wife, Tammy, oldest daughter, Brooke, said, Dad, we want you that in the pulpit tomorrow. Because I was like, you know what it says? I was doing that, getting all excited. Look at verse 44. All those who had believer, believers were together. They were gathered as a community. Strong emphasis was on their unity. The unity is further expressed by their holding all things in common. And in verse 45, it's described as selling their goods for the benefit of others. Look what verse 45 says. They were selling their, began selling their property and possessions as anyone might have need. Now, this may seem a little utopian concept. Now, that does go back a long time that we just put everything in a pot and pass it out. Is often expressed by the phrase of holding all things in common. However, verse 45 speaks against the early Christian community adopting a practice of community ownership because the imperfect tense is used here in the Greek, which tells us it's a recurring process that was going on. So they would sell their properties and goods, and the proceeds would go to every need or person needed at that time. We do that same thing today. We call it a love offering. If we have someone in need, there is a collection plate, give us the Lord directs you. Sometimes, uh, some of you have been sick or been in the hospital or you've had a death of a loved one. What do we do? We provide a meal for you. Same concept here. Taking care of one another. And can I just taste one more rabbit? <laughs> the federal government, when it touches anything, it just ruins it. We have this thing called welfare. You ever heard of it? That's the church's job, to take care of the orphans and the widows, not the government's job. That's our job. Take care of us. Take care of our own. See to it that no one is hurting. That's the reason we have deacons. Pick yourself seven men who are anointed by the Spirit so they can go out and take to the needs of the widows and orphans and I can dedicate myself to the Scriptures and the preaching of the Word. That's what the Bible says. Look what it says in verse 36, that they were... Day by day, continuing with one mind or accord in the temple. 
express unity of purpose. It also applies to the one heart and soul in chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 32 of the Christian fellowship. Now, that same word in the Greek that's translated with one mind is used of angry mobs that came upon Stephen in chapter 7, verse 57, and of Paul. But for the Christian community, fellowship and unity of purpose are helpful, useful, and beneficial, but only when it's rooted in the fellowship with Christ and in the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Christian community, the unity of the church, listen to me, derives from and is guided by the gift of the Spirit that lies at the very heart of the community itself. See what I said? It's the it's Spirit we're driven by the Spirit. Our fellowship is centered upon that. Based on our faith in Christ, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're guided by it. We're about to have a business meeting. And we talk about voting. But we're not really voting per se. We're affirming what God's will is for the life of the church because we've been praying about it and we should be guided by the Spirit. God, what do you want to happen here? What do you say about this, that, and the other? That's the reason you need to come and be informed of what's going on. Therefore, you know what's going on. You know which direction to pray. Hey, we have a quarterly business meeting, and I know these are some issues we're talking about. God, what is your will? Some things will be cut and dry. Yes, this is what we need to do. Some things we'll have to step out on faith. God wants to see. We're going to trust him. The Christian presence in the temple testifies not only to the remaining faithful to their Jewish heritage, but gives evidence of their zeal for witness. The temple in Jerusalem where crowds would be formed. <laughs> A lot of people would be, be there. And it's there the Christians went to bear witness of their faith. Cha- uh, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and chapter 5, verses 21 and 42. They went to the temple on purpose to testify to the non-believing Jewish people about who Christ is. They went right there where they were. They had zeal for it. They wanted to tell them. And if the temple was a place of witness, home was where the place of fellowship happened. It's the intimacy of the home setting. A common meal was shared together. Perhaps even the Lord's Supper. It was a time marked by rejoicing in their fellowship with one another and with the Spirit and by their own openness and sincerity. May I say to you, one of many things about cottage prayer is that is really expressive cottage prayer. What do we do? It's a small group. It's very open, very intimate setting. And we share our needs with one another. We share what we like to see God do. And we share a meal. And we talk about relationships. Man, I'll tell you what. You hear some of the prayers go up. Like, wow. And then over the course of time, we've had... Many witnesses come to me and say, you know what? They pray for this on a cottage prayer, and guess what? God answered that prayer three days later. They're praying for it for over five months or for a year, and I went there and I laid it to my brothers and sisters. They prayed for me, and God answered that prayer. In verse 47, so they're praising God and having favor or enjoying the favor and, or goodwill with all the people. They're praising God for, their, for His presence in their life together. For experiencing the favor of the non-believing Jewish community. This church that we belong to, this fellowship of believers, has a pretty good reputation in this community. 
Yeah, it's been through some rough spots. Yeah, that's true. We have an rep, excellent reputation with our school, and most of the faculty. Most of the community know what we're about. They, some of our community comes on special occasions. We had some people at our sunrise service from different churches and from around the area. We've had people come for our Christmas, uh, a Christmas Eve service. We had lots of people show up for Christmas. I know, I mean, people lived around here, but that Christmas, was it the Christmas lighting of the tree? Lots of people. Ourselves, along with the Methodist Church and with Life 242 Church, we got together, and what did we do? We shared the gospel with people. We played songs and talked about the true meaning of Christmas. Sharing the gospel. And how did God respond to their faith and what they were doing? Look at verse 47. The Lord was adding to their number day by day or daily those who were being saved. Could you imagine? Not because I'm the preacher, not because I'm the pastor, not because you're a member here. One Sunday we gathered together and one by one people started getting saved. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. You know, uh, I may have shared this before. My first pastor during the sunset, this lady was in a bad wreck. Almost took her life. And we prayed. And we prayed. And we pleaded. And we prayed. And we prayed. It was just a few short months later. I didn't know she was coming, that she was present in the church, sitting where she usually sat in the pew. And what do we do? Are you okay to be here? Are you sure? And all of a sudden it went off like a light bulb. God tell me, tell me, you, you've prayed. You pray for me to heal her. And I've answered that prayer. Why don't you believe? And for, it went from doubting to praising because God said, look, I've answered that. The hard thing is to praise God when he doesn't answer the prayers in which we want them to be answered. That's the hard one. But we have to understand and put faith that he has the plan, he knows what's best, and trust in him. Now this passage gives an ideal portrait of the early church, the young Christian community. This is fairly new. And had a lot of persecution from the Jewish people. Judaism. This ideal, this portrait that we see, is an ideal to which Forsberg Baptist Church must always strive for. We must constantly return to it and discover it anew if we're going to have that same unity of spirit and purpose that is essential for an effective witness like the early church. What did the early church do? We have to devote ourselves to the Word, to teaching, to studying, to praying, to the breaking of bread, sharing meals with one another, observing the Lord's Supper together, and to prayer. Praying with each other, for each other. As a believer in Christ, as I said earlier, you are the member of the family of God, the church. As I said earlier, you cannot live out your faith by yourself. 
You need others to stay strong. And I'll repeat what I said at the beginning. The church does not necessarily need you to be the church, but you need the church in order to be the person God created you to be. Is the church perfect? Why is that? Because we're all sinners, that's why. I'll rub you the wrong way, and guess what? You'll rub me the wrong way. That's okay. Because I am commanded to love you as Christ loves you. I'm commanded to forgive you as Christ has forgiven me. And when I look at that cross, and I think about what Jesus did for me, what he has forgiven me of in the past, and probably will forgive me in the future, because I still sin. I'm not perfect. Then how in the world can I hold something over your head? Doesn't mean we forget. We are commanded to forgive, and we're also commanded to love. Love is not a feeling. It is emotion, but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's action. It's a verb. People talk about falling in and out of love. Well, love is more than that. Love's hard. Marriage is hard. Loving someone so deeply that you know them so well, but in spite of what you know, you still love them. That's how we're supposed to be with each other. What was our logo? Living by faith, known by love. I want to remind you again of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and following. Let us, Forestburg Baptist Church, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How do we do that? Not forsaking, forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and even more as you see the day drawing near. It's coming to the assembly of the church with anticipation and excitement. What's God going to do today? He's also coming to church broken and heavy-hearted. And sharing with your brothers and sisters the pain that you have and Would you pray for me? I can't tell you how many times. I'm going to share this one and we'll wrap it up. My first pastor at sunset, Sunday morning, I used to get there early. Particular Sunday morning, I was still in bed. The memory calls about 35 to 40 minutes later, then I'll get out. I was in a self pity party mode. Tammy goes in there, you need to get up. Get ready for church. She went back in the kitchen doing whatever she does. About 10 minutes later, guess what? Get up. Can you get up? And my response was something along the lines of, I ain't going, who cares? They don't listen anyway. Know what she did? That woman sitting right back there in the back row, know what she did? She pulled every cover off me off that bed and literally kicked me out of bed and said, get your Hail up. You're called of God. Go do your calling. Quit making excuses and quit feeling sorry for yourself. At the time, I wouldn't say this, but now I'm thankful that she did that. And sometimes we need people around us that will sell us basically the same thing. 
And Ephesians 2.19 says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizen with the saints and are of God's household. We are part of God's family. That's how Easter changes us, because we were once aliens and foreigners. Now we're part of the family of God. Part of a group of people, like-minded. So now comes the invitation to you respond. If you, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. I invite you to do that today. Come on, I'll talk with you. And you know what? Don't worry about nothing in here because all these people love Jesus and they love you. They're not going to laugh at you. They're not going to make fun of you. They will love you. They will hug you and they will pray with you. But they will not call you a name and they will not make fun of you. Maybe you have a prayer need. Lay it down. Give it to God. And tell him, no matter what happens, I'm still going to praise you through this process. Maybe he's leading you to be a member here. Join this community of believers known as Forestburg Baptist Church. However God's leading you to respond, I invite you to do so. And as you stand, go ahead and stand with me, please. We're going to be singing an old hymn that many of you know called Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And can I discourage you? Let that feeling of security, everything that's boasted up to him and talk about how Jesus is mine.